And now for something completely different. Yes, it's the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast, but we're not going to be talking about film today. I cover arts in San Diego, and sometimes I get to interview people outside of the film community that I think are interesting enough to share with all of you cinema junkies. What you're hearing right now is tenor Renee Barbera warming up. It's not often that I get to be in the same room with an opera singer. In fact, I'm just a few feet away. It's impressive to feel his voice fill the room. And I feel a bit unworthy because I've been a bit musically impaired all my life. So I never feel like I can fully appreciate opera. I joked about this with Barbara as we were setting up for the interview. I did the interview at the home of Nicholas Rivellis, Director of Education and Community Engagement for San Diego Opera, and with the help of Kurt Conan. Thanks for your patience, guys. No, of course. We're, we're all set. I just need to do mic checks, so whenever you guys want to get into your uh, places or wherever you want to sit, I'll... Nick, you'll probably be at the piano. I hope you don't mind taking a little side trip to enjoy some insights into the world of opera. Barbera was quite accommodating, although he refused to let me record him warming up because he said that was just too personal. So here's my interview with tenor Rene Barbera. Hope you enjoy it. So we are at the home of Nicholas Ravellis, and we are going to have something very special here. So Nick, explain where we are and what we are about to hear. Well, where we are is that I'm at the piano, <laughs> ready to accompany this great tenor, Rene Barbera, who's going to be singing a concert for us, a recital, uh, this coming Saturday night. And uh, he's chosen to do La Donne Mobile for your radio audience today. Uh, this is the great tune or aria from Rigoletto by Giuseppe Verdi, and I'm sure it will be recognized by just about everybody in your audience. Ah! 
first of all, I wanted to find out how did you initially get into singing and what led you to opera? I started out with piano when I was quite young. Uh, for whatever reason, I decided I wanted to take piano lessons and karate lessons. And my mother and father both provided that. And so I started with piano and I was pretty good at it, actually. Uh, a lot of people had said that I had the ability to take it, you know, as, as far as I wanted, as long as I had the passion for it. I didn't. Uh, I did not have the passion for playing piano. I, I, uh, at the time, I really just hated practicing. I, I was young, and I didn't really want to sit in one place for an hour or half an hour or, you know, God forbid, longer than that, two hours, my God. Uh, at any rate, I just, I just couldn't do it. But when I was in elementary school, I had gotten lucky enough to have a teacher who recognized my vocal talents because we sang every day the national anthem in school. So apparently she heard me singing or whatnot. So when we moved to San Antonio for my fourth grade year, my teacher had attached a little sticky note to my student record suggesting that they get me into choir saying that I have a beautiful voice. Well, I, I was in, you know, the music classes we all had and the teacher of that class said, you know, you should audition for the San Antonio Boys Choir. And so I did, and I got into San Antonio Boys Choir as a boy soprano. As a, and then that all happened, and I, I had the opportunity to sing a mall in the night visitors. I was a mall. And I was in seventh grade, and I had jo joined the choir in middle school, and they suggested that I be a tenor. Well, the choir director, uh, Melinda Loomis of the San Antonio Boys Choir, said, no, you're not, not going to sing tenor if you're going to be singing to some mall in December. There's, you're just going to ruin your voice, and you won't be able to sing it. So she demanded and sent a note along that I'd be a boy soprano in the choir. Well, that led to me being the only boy in the all-girls choir uh, in seventh grade. You can imagine what that was like for me. Uh, it, was, it was actually rather enjoyable. I enjoyed it. But it was a lot of poking fun at me. Nonetheless, uh, eighth grade happened. My voice changed, and I became some weird combination of alto tenor thing. Ended up in high school, decided I wanted to take a year off of choir. I was like, nah, I don't want to sing anymore. I'm tired. Well, the choir director from the high school had previously met me and heard me sing in the Fore Requiem at the Pia Yezu. And he had been looking forward to having me in his choir. I happen to walk by him in the hallway. He sees me. I say hello to him. And he twists my ear and drops me to the ground. I literally drop to my knees because it hurt. And he says, why are you not in my choir? And I said, at the time, I was like, I just want to take a year off. I don't really feel like singing anymore. And he said, you will be in my choir by the end of the week. And, but I, and I said, I don't want to be in choir. I was like, you're going to be in choir. Anyway, uh, that being said, because of Gordon Ivers getting me in, in, back into choir that year, he was very much a supporter of mine. He was very unlike other, other choir directors in that he would point directly at me in the middle of a UIL competition or whatnot and just wave his hand for me to sing louder. Uh, a lot of choir directors don't do that. They're, they're all about blending and keeping quiet and not having anybody stand out, but he, he let me sing loud, and he let me use my voice, unlike a lot of other choir directors might do. And with his support and his, his constant, hey, you know, you can do this, I finally said, okay, fine, I'll, I'll audition at UTSA, uh, University of Texas San Antonio. And he helped me learn my two audition arias, and I went and I got a scholarship, and it all went very well. And I, you know, I tried to pull away from singing again after about a year and a half, and I moved to Colorado. But I didn't want to completely stop singing. I just didn't want to do it as a profession. So I, I sought out Martil Roland in Colorado Springs, 
and went and had a lesson with her after about a month of calling and calling and calling and calling and getting no response. Finally got her, and I went to go sing for her. I sang La Donna Immobile for her, hilariously. And she immediately said, you need to be uh, in my program. I have a, a three-week program here in Colorado Springs, Vocal Arts Symposium. Uh, and I, I said, I, I can't afford that. She said, no, no, I, you're getting full scholarship, room, board, everything. You just have to show up. And so I went, and through that I got in contact with the people at the North Carolina School of the Arts. Uh, a lot of the students were there, and James Albritton, who I'm about to go work with again for the first time in several years, um, singing the Duke. Ha ha, that'll be fun. It's all coming full circle. And after about three or four years of being a pain and b struggling with the whole concept of singing and not really wanting to do it, but still being interested, I've, I, I had a girlfriend, and that girlfriend uh, left me, and it kind of... It, just, it lit the fire, if you will, and I said, you know what, I've been here for four years, I owe it to myself to really give this a shot, and within a week I had applied and created, I applied to several young artist programs and created my audition tape and everything, and I, that, that was my first audition season, it went very well, I got into the uh, Maryland Opera Program, I got uh, into the Florida Grand Opera Program, and into the Lyric Opera Program that year. And uh, that's kind of how it all went. Uh, I finished my young artist tenure at the Lyric Opera Chicago after three years in 2012. And it's kind of the rest is history, just been running around like a crazy person. So did you choose to go into opera or did people kind of choose it for you? It was chosen for me. Uh, I did not see an opera until I was in about four of them myself, something to that effect. I had no experience with opera. I was from South Texas. I was born in Laredo, and I lived in San Antonio. And there just wasn't opera available to me at that time. It was never been presented as something I should be involved in or that I could even make a living in or that really even existed anymore. So it was all something very new to me when I got to college, and people were like, hey, you know, you should sing opera. And I said, well, okay, I like classical music well enough. Sure, why not? <laughs> I actually liked vocal jazz, too. My other option was to do vocal jazz in my mind. That did not pan out. And that's okay. I never really pursued it anyway. So what kind of music did you actually listen to, like, of your own choice, just out of curiosity? Oh, my. When I was in high school, before I actually got into opera, I, li I listened to a lot of R&B, hip-hop, rap, and a lot of heavy metal, too. I really loved Metallica, ACDC. Yeah, nothing nothing remotely close to opera was in my playlist. Uh, and it's it's there really still isn't there. I mean, occasionally I'll pull out you know some Fritz Wunderlich or some or Alfredo Kraus, you know, something along those lines. But usually not opera. Usually we're looking at Lieder and things like that, just to have something that's soothing and relaxing when I'm driving. Because occasionally, when I'm driving in a car, that's the only time I road rage. So I need to have when when I feel the road rage coming on, I put on Fritz Wunderlich and I just relax a little bit. Otherwise, it just otherwise it's, you know I listen to dubstep when I'm in the car, but course now I just have a motorcycle but I still listen to a, a, a sizable dose of Eminem. But this recital will not be featuring you doing any um, hip-hop or heavy metal? Sadly not no no I, I would really it would be, it's a dream of mine to uh, to work one-on-one -on -one with Eminem that'd be really funny and entertaining. Well you know Christopher Lee did that whole heavy metal album with that band so I mean people cross over in interesting ways. <laughs> be pretty fun. I'm not opposed to the idea. You're very young, so you've probably come into opera when we've already had this addition of wireless microphones for everybody to be using, but how has that, has that changed how a singer sings? Do you still have to project as much? Does it make any difference whether you're mic'd or not? 
Well, the truth is in opera houses, the mics that are available are only, uh, that are being used are only for the purpose of broadcast. So they're actually not being used to amplify the sound in the house. Um, so yes, the answer is we still have to, we still have to be able to sing loud enough to be heard in the audience. Uh, those microphones are quite the inconvenience for all of us. Uh, we really, you know, they're always kind of stuck in your hairline and inevitably the glue comes off and you feel them moving around and, you know, you feel that the tape on the you know, back of your neck pulling the hairs there while you're turning your head. It's just, it's not exciting. They're there and we, we have to learn to deal with them, but for the most part, they're not used to amplify us. The only time we have amplification in, in a, and when an actual performance situation is when it's outdoors. But in opera houses, you know, those, it's very rare for a microphone to be used for amplification purposes. Amplification purposes, excuse me. I had a chance to speak with Stephen Costello when he was here doing an opera, and he talked about how being a singer is very much like being an athlete. Does that metaphor work for you as well? Absolutely. And depending on the production, it can be even more athletic uh, than just the regular singing. Uh, There have been productions where I'm climbing up walls and climbing up ladders and jumping on tables and, you know, climbing, jumping over uh, rails on staircases, running around the theater while singing. There's quite a bit of things that go on. And, you know, when you combine adrenaline with essentially holding your breath, but exhaling it slowly while you're running around, it can get really exhausting. But that being said, just the singing aspect alone is very physical. I mean, there's a lot of mus- muscles involved, uh, especially abdominal muscles, and you're you know you're having to engage your entire body, keep your you know your legs involved, keep your upper body involved, while at the same time keeping things loose and flexible because you can't get too too intense about things. Uh, and of course, the breath. I mean, there are many times where I, depending on what I'm singing, I'll end a phrase and I'm thinking, I don't know that I can actually take this next breath in time to not pass out. Uh, <laughs> so things like that happen. But then there are also there's also types of music that are uh, different in that, for example, Rossini is um, which I sing a lot of, is I would consider vocal gymnastics in that you are constantly moving all about your vocal register and there's very little time to breathe and all kinds of muscles are involved with it's like slow twitch what is a fast twitch versus slow twitch muscles, you know like when you're running in a long distance versus versus speed, with Rossini there's constant it's it's the muscles in the in the abdomen are constantly pulsating and vibrating and going uh, for being able to move a lot of agility, let's say. Uh, whereas singing a long line makes it creates constant pressure in in the abdomen to make sure the the, the air is coming out. It gets uh, it gets to be quite difficult with with Rossini. And you know uh, there have been many times where I get to the end of a phrase and I'm and I'm literally, my stomach is in, on, in pain. My abdomen is, is on fire. The lactic acid is building up. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't even really know that I have enough energy in these muscles to get the next line out because they're so exhausted. An example of a, situa- of a line that requires to, that you make sure that you have the proper amount of breath and that you don't expel too much early on to make it through the end of the phrase is in La Donna, de, uh, La Donna Mobile. And it's, it's this particular phrase. You're holding it for so long, that beginning note, then you have to make sure you have enough support and, and air coming through to be able to do the run down, plus it hop back up and hold it a little longer. You know, otherwise you just go, and it seems, you know, things end up being funny if you don't quite have enough breath and you can sustain the breath well enough to get through the end of the phrase. And then, of course, you have to tank up again for the last high note. So how do you train and keep in shape then for something like that? 
That's a wonderful question, and I really sometimes still have no idea how it happens. I mean, I, the only thing that I, can, that I can assume is that with the constant you know, rehearsals that we have, you know, six days a week, six hours a day usually, you know, as long as you're, as long as you're working each one of those days, you're working hard, then, you know, usually the stamina builds up well enough for you to get through it. Uh, but, you know, every every performance is different. If a conductor takes a different tempo one night for whatever reason, you know, they had an espresso or they didn't have an espresso, it could make a difference in the tempo and it could it can it can change the way it all flows. So you have to be able to to adjust. And there are moments where you're sitting there thinking this tempo is going to kill me. I may actually drop dead. Just a, a quick question. You, you mentioned breath. And I work with a number of young singers, and hopefully they're listening to this interview because you're saying some really, really great things. Isn't one of the most challenging things to be able to control the breath so that you don't expel so much of it at the beginning of the phrase, you don't have anything left to finish it? How do you control that? How do you learn that? <laughs> you know, every phrase is a challenge, and every phrase has it, and depending on what comes before it, it, it's going to take something different. So you never really, quote unquote, learn it. You learn it for that particular line. You learn it for that particular aria, that particular duet or, or ensemble piece where you say, okay, well, this, this line before this next one, I have to take a breath here. Otherwise, I'm not going to have enough for this. And it, it has to be a big breath or it has to be a quick breath. You have to know where those are and you have to really plan them out to make sure you, you, you have all that. And, of course, you have to practice those lines and make sure that you can get through them. And, you know, there's, there's various breathing exercises. One of my favorite ones is using a straw, putting one of the straw into a bowl of water but you want to put it just under the surface and you breathe you exhale you exhale as slowly as you can and make the smallest bubbles you can but maintain the bubbles all throughout until your breath is gone so it helps you learn to use your abdom your abdominal muscles to actually control how much breath is coming out from you know from the beginning to the end and sustaining that can be really difficult and it's exhausting but it's one of the good exercises to do and just doing breathing exercises in general is really helpful. I don't always do breathing exercises before a show, but if there's, you know, if there's a particular phrase and I know I'm gonna have to sing, you know, if I have the time beforehand, I'll just go straight to the, to the dressing room and just do a lot of exhaling breaths and, you know, pulsating and just holding out long phrases as long as I can. So before any performance, do you have a regular routine of like warm-ups that you have to go through? You know, again, it's one of those things that kind of just varies day by day and perform and uh, opera by opera, in fact, and sometimes just performance by performance. Some days I wake up and I, and my voice is just top notch; it's ready to go. It's just you know for whatever reason, you know, maybe I had the right combination of food the night before, but I wake up the next morning and I'm like, I feel great. My voice is ready to go. I can I can sing right now. The only problem is sometimes you take a nap in the middle of the day because you have nothing else to do before a performance and you wake up and you're like, okay, I should have just stayed awake because now I actually have to work. Uh, the warm-ups, they vary depending on what I need that particular day. Some days I need to do things with more uh, focus on uh, resonance, some days more breath, some days just waking up my upper register or my lower register. It just all depends on what, what's necessary for the day. But uh, my rituals usually revolve around what I do for the day or what I don't do. And what I don't do is anything. Uh, I, <laughs> I stay home all day. Uh, I do the least I can possibly do on a day because it's, a, you know, singing a full opera is a very, it is very energy consuming thing. And the less that I do in a day, the more likely that I am to have the energy later in the day to get through it. And I definitely have before a show at least a single shot of espresso, if not a double. It's got to happen, especially for Rossini. For whatever reason, it wakes up the abdomen. You said earlier and you just referred to him, that you sing a lot of Rossini. You're called upon to sing a lot of Rossini. And also, you've got 
at least two Donizetti rules uh, under your belt. Um, the Dot of the Regiment four. and um, Elixir. What else? I also have uh, Ernesto and Don Pasquale. I've of sung course. Edgardo and Lucia. And I think that covers it. <laughs> okay. Well, then, but you're, you also mentioned that you're now working on the Duke in Rigoletto, mm-hmm. which is where the aria was from that we performed earlier. Right. What are the differences? Are the, are the challenges remarkably different, or are you approaching it the same way that you would this so-called lighter repertoire, which really isn't, but... Um, right. You know, it's just, it's interesting. I can't, if I just got through singing Rossini, it will take me at least two weeks to a month to get my voice out of that place. Uh, the way that I sing legato music, um, even even something as different from, as, as close, if you will, as Donizetti and Rossini, there's a big, very big change in how I approach it in that I'm able to use more of my voice uh, when I sing Rossini, which Rossini is very unnatural for me, if that makes sense. And so I have to sort of change the way I sing so that I can, and I essentially only use my upper resonance to get through it. Otherwise, I'll never be able to actually have the flexibility to make the coloratura lines. So when I'm making a switch to singing something like the Duke, which I've actually done, uh, I did this in, I did the Duke in Upper Colorado, and I had done, I think it was a Barber Seville just beforehand, and it took me a solid month before my body was willing to to let me sing with all of my voice and and to, to be able to to sustain some legato lines because it's a very different approach to everything. So yeah, it's, there is there is there can be a very big difference in in, in the way things are doing the way you approach things. Um, from a technical standpoint, for the most part, nothing changes. I just kind of allow myself to to have more color in my voice and 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 use some of my chest resonance that I don't get to use in other things. But otherwise, I try to approach it as lyrically as possible. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to sing it like it's Wagner or anything like that. So in selecting the pieces for this recital, what were you looking to do? Were you looking to challenge yourself in some ways or revisit things that you really enjoyed? Well, it's a combination of a lot of things. Definitely some revisiting of things that I've enjoyed because I, 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 you know, there are a lot of pieces in this, in this list that I really love. But a lot of it was just selecting music that makes me happy because uh, I, I, it's really nice to sing things that are, that are different from what I sing all the time. And there's a lot of legato music, you know, there, there's a lot of things about love in there um, and, and heartbreak and happiness and kind of going back and forth between the two. is It's a very, for whatever reason, that type of music really speaks to me. And it's a lot of Italian and Spanish with a couple of French things mixed in. One of the songs I, I'd, I want to sing again, mainly because my mother, for my senior recital in college, it was Con Amores La Mi Madre, with, with, uh, with Love, My Mother is the name of the title. I had chosen that song to sing for her. Well, the day of my recital, she had an anxiety attack. At the time, she did not know what that whether that's what it was. She thought she was having a heart attack. The hospital thought she was having a heart attack. So they took her in, and they once they realized that it wasn't a heart attack, they said, you know what, we're going to keep you here for monitoring. You can't, you can't leave. And so she stayed, and was, and she missed my recital, and that was really hard for me. Uh, so it's kind of an emotional piece for me. I almost, I almost lost it that night when I was singing that piece. And so now, as as a professional, my mother's going to come and see me. And so I said that has to be on there. She has to actually see me perform it because she didn't get to. So otherwise, it's just a bunch of music that I really like and I think speaks to me. And I think the words and the music speak can speak to everybody. It's it's 
it's just about, uh, uh, most of it is just about the human experience, about love and, and heartbreak, and kind of how that all goes, you know, in, in, in various waves, if you will. There's one particular set that I chose as something completely new. I said, you know, I need to have something I've never sung before that's somewhat different from everything else, and that would be the Hina Seda pieces. And those are, they're very interesting pieces. The music, the, the accompaniment is very, it almost seems atonal, but it's not. Because once, the, especially once the singing comes in, it's for whatever reason I picked it up very quickly, and I, I was kind of afraid of them at first. And once I started working on them, I realized, oh, these are actually quite tonal and they're really interesting. Um, and one of the pieces is quite creepy. You'll enjoy that one. Would you pick any of these as being particularly challenging, like the most that of the selection? The most challenging thing for me in the entire, well, aside from remembering all the words which there's a lot of. There's one particular piece, uh, La Danza by Rossini. Go figure, the two hardest pieces in the thing are both Rossini. Uh, La, La Danza, uh, it's quite difficult because both verses are identical in sound and, and you know, they're strophic, but the words are different. In the words being different, there's one phrase that starts the exact same way but ends completely differently. And that makes it really difficult to remember. <laughs> so I'm having quite the time wrapping my brain around that one. But as far as vocal challenges, it's, it's fairly a cut and dry, easy piece to sing. The hardest piece for me to sing in the entire, piece, in the entire recital would be the, uh, the Rossini piece that starts it out. It's from La Gazza Ladra. It's, it's a very difficult, very, very difficult piece. And you're also doing the high C's from Donizetti, yes? Uh, yeah, I'm doing the Daughter of the Regiment. That one's easy, though. It's commonly stated that when 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 it comes to that piece, you either had you either have the high C's or you don't, and if you have them, it's easy. If you don't, it's hard. So, I mean, I've been I'm fortunate that the high C's are not really a challenge for me. Uh, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree, the second aria in the uh, the daughter of the regiment, Pour me rapprocher de Marie, is substantially harder than the first, which is the, uh, the one with the nine high Cs. It's just the most popular one because it's exciting, and the high C is often seen as a Mount Everest of, for tenors, but, you know, if you can do it, you can do it. You're singing one of my favorite arias from the Pearl Fishers, uh, Je crois entendre, and, and I, I've always wondered where the tenor has to sort of place that, where you have to sing that from, because it's marked pianissimo, I hear recordings of it, and I think, is that person singing falsetto or just lots of head resonance? How do you explain what you have to do in order to make that piece come off? It's an interesting piece. Um, I, I, I love it because it gives me the opportunity to do something I don't ever get to do, and that's to kind of float everything. It's kind of just like singing in this voix mixed area. It's just kind of, I don't know, it's hard to explain. Um, there's definitely a lot of head resonance, but it's also strangely really kind of high and back in the head and my, the way I feel it when I'm singing. Well, it gives it a very ethereal effect yeah. within the opera itself. I mean, it's, it's like Nadir, the character, is having a dream, yeah. and this thing is just taking him to a whole other world, yeah. and the music does that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, he's, he's, he's just kind of recollecting this, this time that he had, and it's, a very, it's very clearly a very intimate time. It's, it's quite beautiful, and... It's, I mean, I don't know. There's just something about the piece that I've always really, really, really liked. And, you know, I just, I try to do my best with it. And, yeah, we'll see if it works out. <laughs>
On that note, we have to wrap up. Thanks so much. I'm Beth Accomando, and I've been speaking with tenor Renee Barbera and Nicholas Rivellis, Director of Education and Community Engagement at San Diego Opera. Thanks to you both for taking time for this conversation and music. Thank you very much for taking the time to interview me. Thanks for listening to the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast and our little side trip to the world of opera. I'm Beth Accomando, and I'll be returning to film very quickly with a podcast from Son of Monsterpalooza in L.A. Remember to check back every Thursday for a film review and every Friday for interviews. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.